What is faith? The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that without it, we can't please God, and that it is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. But does that mean we can speak our tomorrow into existence because of this force called faith? The Word of Faith movement is a mainly Pentecostal movement that came up in the late 20th century. Word of Faith teaching states that because we as human beings are made in the image of God, and whatever God declared through His Word came to be, words can be used to manipulate the force of faith, and thus we can actually create what many claim the Scriptures promise. Speaking of what the Scriptures promise, many Word of Faith teachers declare that God's will for us as Christians is to always be financially prosperous and never sick. Health and wealth are promised to us as believers. We just have to believe it and declare it. We have that authority. But wait, what if Christians are poor and sick? Does that mean they don't have enough faith? What about the millions of faithful believers living in abject poverty and religious persecution in developing countries around the world? Are they poor and imprisoned because they don't have enough faith? Or the faithful believer who lost a spouse, a child, or a loved one to an illness even after they prayed for them? Did they just not have enough faith? What does the Word of Faith movement actually teach? Is it biblical? And how do we see its influence in the church today? This morning, doing well. I'm hiding in the shadow of my microphone because I trimmed my beard relatively short this this week. You did, and you're not wearing a hat, so oh, there yeah. you are. People on YouTube can see that you actually look a lot like Michael Sarah without a beard. Mm-hmm. We used I to get call that you quite George. Often. We used to call you George Michael in college from Arrested mm-hmm. Development. Yeah, that's why you grew a beard, right? I don't know why. Sure. <laughs> so I could disguise my 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 doppelgangerness, <laughs> Michael Sarah. I only have one doppelganger, and he's a really obscure character. But apparently, I look very much like him. Um, that would be the show Desperate Housewives. Eva Longoria's husband. His name is Carlos. Every every now and again, that guy. He's a, he's like a C a C list actor. He's not a very popular actor at all. But um, I guess he's like in Hallmark Christmas movies now. What's his name? Carlos? I don't know what his actual name is, but Carlos from Desperate Housewives. Um, It's Eva Longoria's husband. Uh, Anyway, he's like in Hallmark Christmas movies and people will watch him and send me a photo and be like, is that you? This guy looks just like you. So that's the only doppelganger I have, some C-list actor that's in Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah, I totally see it. (laughs) You looking at it right now? Yeah, am I allowed to do this? Let me see. Yeah. Can you see my screen? No, you tried this last episode. Nobody could see your screen. Uh, yeah, I don't know why it's not working. No. Is it not working? Oh, man. Oh, man. But yeah, I just 
I just Googled the following, Carlos from Desperate Housewives and the images. <laughs> I'm not responsible for anything else you see, but yeah, there are some some striking resemblances. Yeah. That's so, funny. So there you go. So if we ever like want to get more handsome body doubles to lip sync this and put it on YouTube, it would be Michael Sarah and Carlos from Desperate Housewives. Mm. Yeah. Probably get more clicks. Might. So Yeah. How's the uh, marathon training then going? Good old buddy. Mm, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> mm. We did a uh, eighteen miles Saturday night. We started nice. at like started at like six o'clock or something, five thirty or six o'clock in the evening Saturday night, and uh, so you ran in the dark. Yeah, yeah we ran with headlamps wow. on and uh, did eighteen miles, and that yeah. was it. Was like drawing stuff out of me, out of my soul that I just didn't know was even there. It's just like mm. the last two miles, it was. It was um, yeah, you know, they say that you hit this wall, you know, at like mile 17, mm-hmm. mile 18, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. And, uh, and you have to, you have to push through it. You have to eat through it and hydrate through it. Um, but yeah, it's for real. It's definitely there. Uh, your legs okay. just, you know, like my heart and my lungs and everything, they're fine. Like it was, I felt great. Yeah. But the muscles in my legs were just completely locking up like brakes would lock up in a car so yeah man uh but no it was cool like we had um we started at our friend charity's house and she uh lives kind of north of this big park and we ran around her block and then around the park we did that like five times and uh each lap was like each lap was like five miles so we did it we didn't do a full five times i don't think um maybe like three and a half or four times but uh every time that we came back to her house um stacy and uh chris's wife emily um, and our boys were out front in the front yard and they were like pretending that they're like a little hydration station and they were running out in the middle of the road and passing <laughs> us like snacks and stuff and, and uh, a little pit stop there. Oh, there you go, but man. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And by a lot of fun, I mean, it was utter hell. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's like, uh, I don't know if you're a runner, you get that. If you're not one, you're like, you are insane. And maybe we all are a little bit insane. Yeah. And I love yeah, how I'm, I'm including me in the fact that, um, I have done that because I've the longest distance I've ever run is a half marathon. I've never pushed past the, the 13 mile. Half so. marathon's good. It's a good challenging distance and it doesn't require, you know, your entire life to train for it. I feel yeah. like that's, that's a good, <clears throat> happy medium. If you're looking yeah. for a good challenge, if you're looking, if you're looking for something that's going to be, um, you know, it's something that you remember the rest of your life, but also not all-consuming of your life. That's that's a good distance. Yeah, but now that you are running a marathon, the competitive part of me is going to go, I can't let Gabe do a marathon before he turns 40 without me doing a marathon before I turn 40. You know how that works, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole... Let's do one together. Maybe next year yeah. let's do one together. Yeah, maybe we could look at doing that. There's uh, one up maybe, in maybe Chattanooga. Have... That's true. A lot of them are on Sundays. For me, that's... I got to mm-hmm. take out the whole weekend, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we can talk about it. Maybe we can do a Beards and Bible sponsored marathon and uh, mm-hmm. somebody can like ride beside us on a bicycle and interview us about theological stuff while we're running together. I was going to say we could we could uh, record a podcast episode while running a marathon <laughs> and it'd be just like a huge long disposition on Hebrews chapter 12 and running yeah. the endurance. That, mm, yes, I see what you did there. Mm. Mm. Speaking of Hebrews With, chapter 11, mm-hmm. Gabe, what is faith? 
What is faith? <laughs> Baby, don't hurt me. Faith is Appreciate um. That's a that's a that's a good question. Mm. Uh, faith <laughs> is the. Go do ahead. Your, do you have your Bible open? I was gonna see if you're gonna quote what the Book of Hebrews chapter eleven says about faith. Well, uh, I do. I I don't have my Bible. <laughs> <laughs> you started answering the question. Like, I'm like, you could just quote the verse. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you're well, trying to do? I felt like I was shamed a little bit for not. I was I was going to be shamed like at the kids' church for not having my Bible. Uh, but yeah, faith is the confidence in what we hope for, according to the New International Version, mm-hmm. and the assurance of what we do not see. Hmm. Um, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Very interesting. So yeah, faith is this interesting. Uh, it's kind of like hope, but it's not because it's there's evidence of it, and there's things that you can see. Like James talks a lot about, show me your faith without works, hmm. and I'll show you my faith by my works. So it's like, right? It, it is this. Um, it is this metaphysical aspect of our of our belief system, but right. it produces physical, tangible results. So um, it's interesting. But you know, one faith of the has... Things, well, I was going to say one of, the, one of the things I always point people back when they ask the question about faith, because so often in our culture, in our language, we make it a synonym of hope. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate because um, they're, they're, not, they're not supposed to be synonyms. Have a little faith, you know? That's, well, that yeah. means have a little hope. But one of the things I point back is, you know, in, in Greek, the word for faith is pistis, mm-hmm. but the Hebrew equivalent of that Greek word is emunah. And one of the best examples of emunah in action in the Old Testament is, if you remember, is it Exodus 17 when the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites and Moses is holding a staff up in the air mm-hmm. and he grows weary and he starts to drop his staff and then the Israelites start losing the battle against the Amalekites. Yeah. But then um, his brother Aaron and Hur, they come up next to him and they, it says in the Hebrew, they emunah his arms. They steady his hmm. arms and they lift up his arms. So um, that's a perfect example of faith. It's like they had a strong desire and a strong willingness and belief and that produced action to to lift up, you know, Moses' arms and steady them. Interesting. Yeah. Pistis in the Greek, I'm more familiar with that term. I wrote about it in the in the uh, in the book um it actually is more like allegiance than it is mm. kind of whipping yourself up into this psychological fervor and confidence in a particular outcome it's more allegiance to a particular person um and so i think that really changes that understanding when we think putting faith in christ some of us are like okay well just believe you know, mm-hmm. like Polar Express, you know, just just believe, man, you just got to believe. It's like, well, it's more than that. It's, yes, you have to believe that God exists. That's what the book of Hebrews says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God for we must believe that he exists. But it's also allegiance to him. And then I really love that uh, picture that the Hebrew creates of being strengthened by it. I think that's mm-hmm. a, a good understanding of it. But But I think that something that's very important to remember about the concept of faith is faith has to be in someone or something. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. It can't be that you just have faith in faith or you just have faith. Okay, so what do you have faith in? Right? Mm. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> as we talk about this, I think it's very important to we're going to get in the weeds for a little bit for some of these um, concepts we talk about faith because this word has been thrown around so much and has been twisted and misused. And I think there's a lot of people who have a very unbiblical understanding of the concept of faith and the word faith. And um, I think it's really important for us as a uh, as believers, just to, to know, okay, what does the Bible really say about this, and how can we possibly misunderstand this to our detriment? Hmm. So um, here's kind of where we're going. Uh, we're going to do two episodes. First one is this today, uh, and today we're going to talk about the Word of Faith movement. We're going to talk about what it teaches and its influences on the church. Hmm. In order to do that, we have to name names um, because we're going <laughs> to... Gabe started laughing immediately when I said that. <laughs> Are you laughing because like, you, you don't want to be a heresy hunter? No, I'm laughing because um, uh, this is, this is a, a trigger warning against <laughs> source yes. that, you know, we, we prop these, uh, what we call... W- 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 even if they don't identify it as such, uh, word of faith preachers and evangelists and, and teachers, mm-hmm. we prop them up as sacred cows almost. And yep. um, let's do a little sacred cow hunting. Let's just yes, sacred cow yeah. tipping. Is that good? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, yeah. So we got to name names because we're going to look at quotes from these guys. And here's here's our heart. Please hear us. We're not heresy hunters. We're not doctrine police. We're not trying to bring these guys and their ministries down. Where we are concerned is not necessarily with these guys and gals, which, to be honest, there are some concerns with their lifestyle, but that's kind of another, that would be another podcast altogether. What we're really wanting to know know is, are the things that they're saying biblical? Are the things that they're saying, do they check out? Right? Mm -hmm. And so in order for us to say, okay, does it check out? We've got to tell you who it is. We've got to tell you what they said. All right. So we're going to go through and kind of um, analyze some of the theology that they espouse. And mm-hmm. they're not ashamed of that. They're not saying this in secret. This is in stuff that they've mm-hmm. written, stuff that they preach every single day. They are loud and proud, word of faith people. And so I want to kind of go back to what does the theology of the word of faith movement say? What does it teach? And, um, yeah, let's just analyze it and talk through it. So that's going to be today's episode is going to be about what does it teach, what are the influences, and why do we see the church. And then the next episode, we're going to look at the origin of the Word of Faith movement. I think most people would be surprised to know that it doesn't start where you think it starts. A lot of people think that perhaps it starts in the early church, or perhaps it starts in the Methodist movement or the Baptist movement. It actually starts in something called the New Thought Movement. And it has its origins in the same place of um, new thought cults. So if you've ever read the book The Secret, or if you've ever uh, listened to or read any of the teachers that Oprah Winfrey espouses, or if you've ever heard of Christian science, 
or um, anything in the New Age movement, the Word of Faith movement actually has a, a very, very, very common thread that runs through it, and uh, you can trace its origin all the way back there. And then next episode, we'll also talk just about a <clears throat> biblical definition of faith and how we can kind of uh, have an apologetic against some Word of Faith uh, heresies. So, sound good? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so maybe you've never heard of the Word of Faith movement. I think a lot of people will hear the term prosperity gospel or health and wealth gospel or name it, claim it gospel or grab it, blab it gospel. And uh, they'll say, oh yeah, I've heard of that before. But it's a little bit more slippery than that. Um, The Word of Faith movement is mainly a Pentecostal movement that came up in the late 20th century. And the reason that it's called name it and claim it or grab it, blab it, or whatever you want to call it, is because it has a belief in a theology that has kind of recreated the concept of faith. And this is so important to know. This is so important to understand. You cannot understand any word of faith teacher or any word of faith church or any word of faith theology until you get this right. The belief is that faith itself is a force. And because we as human beings have been made in the image of God, and whatever God declared through his words came to be, like he spoke the universe into existence, he said, let there be light, and there was light, we can use our words to manipulate the faith force and thus actually create through our words, through our actions, through our behaviors, what the scriptures promise. And then what they believe the scriptures promise is perfect health and prosperous wealth. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So these laws that supposedly govern the faith force are said to kind of operate independently of God's sovereign will. And God himself is subject, uh, he's subjected to these laws because that's kind of how he set it up. This is where it kind of gets goofy, and we'll dig into this as we get into this. Um, but that's essentially, in a nutshell, what they teach. That's why they say you you can't confess this. You can't, you know, speak this out. If, um, and we'll kind of get into some quotes with that. But Gabe, I mean, are you already kind of seeing some things that are a little sus yeah. about this theology? Uh, yeah, a little sussy. Yeah, no, <laughs> totally. And I see, I see you know... Uh, to a lesser extent, people will repeat these common mantras, mm-hmm. you know, unknowingly that they're they're actually repeating um, theological tenets of the Word of Faith movement. Like when you know someone is facing a diagnosis of some kind of illness or disability, and they'll say, "Well, don't speak that over yourself." Right. Um, they're repeating, and they might be well intentioned. They're repeating something that is straight up out of the Word of Faith movement. That like, if you admit this diagnosis, if you acknowledge it then you're accepting it, and then mm-hmm, it's stuck mm-hmm. on you. Right, um, right, right. I think that's really unbiblical and dangerous. But yeah, you just see that every now and then you see it kind of like people pick up on those things, and you're like, whoa, 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 hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most of them don't know that. it, honestly, because this has been mm-hmm. one of the most yep. influential movements um, in the Absolutely. charismatic and Pentecostal. So if you grew up around charismatic Pentecostal circles, you probably have some word of faith theology that rubbed off on you, and you may not even know it. Um 
So here's some quotes from <clears throat> Kenneth Hagin. He is considered the father of the modern Word of Faith movement. He is uh, deceased, so he's no longer with us. But his uh, spiritual son is a guy by the name of Kenneth Copeland. He was probably the most popular Word of Faith teacher today. And so here's what Kenneth Hagin had to say about faith. He said this, Believe it in your heart, say it with your mouth. That is the principle of faith. You can have what you say. Hmm. Hmm. Yikes. Yikes, yikes. Yep. This is another quote. Our confession will either imprison us or set us free. Our confession is the result of our believing, and our believing is the result of our right or wrong thinking. So as we get as we get into this, and this is just a sidebar before we go on, um, in the New Age movement, there's a belief that you can manifest certain good things that happen to you based on what you say and your mindset. That's essentially the book, The Secret, if you've ever heard of that. Oprah's a big fan. Mm-hmm. Once you start getting into what Word of Faith teachers are actually saying, they're using Christianese and they're using very churchy and Bible words to basically teach the exact same thing. You can have what it is you say, you manifest what it is you set your mind on. So therefore, if you are sick or if you are poor or you do have setbacks in your life, you know who's to blame? You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which and yeah, what, that, I mean, what could go wrong with that? I mean, right. You, I mean, nothing. surely a person will never doubt their own faith. Yeah. Never. You yeah. know, never beat themselves up or anything like that. that I'd love to see. Produce any. I'd, I'd love to see them walk through the slums of Kampala and espouse that mm. garbage. But they mm. they do, they do, they do crusades in uh, in very poor parts of the world and make a lot of money doing it. And that's so, the sad part. I mean, the 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 <laughs> ugly underbelly of this whole thing, which we're going to get into, is that this is this is a theology that is led by an elite few that mm-hmm. are praying. Monetarily praying off of the desperate. Yes, that's, I mean that's it, and people 100%. don't realize that. Yeah, yeah. Bad theology hurts people, and a lot of people are getting hurt through this. So that's why mm-hmm. we're doing this. Um, another Kenneth Hagin quote: "If you are not satisfied with what you have, then check up on what you are saying." Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a yikes right there. Here's another Kenneth Hagin quote. Yes, sin, sickness, and disease, spiritual death, poverty, and everything else that's of the devil once ruled us. But now, bless God, we rule them. For this is the day of dominion. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So to the faithful believers serving God diligently day in and day out, living on less than a dollar a day in abject poverty. Apparently, they're still under the domain of the devil, and they don't have faith, and they've not stepped into their full authority as people of dominion. But, uh, okay, that's easy for a guy to say that drives a Learjet. (laughs) So, you will hear Word of Faith teachers say things like, Faith creates our tomorrow. Ugh. So gross. So gross. I know. I've heard that quote recently. 
Here's one. Faith speaks to things and declares them to be. And, and all this is, it's a very churchy and Christianese way of cleaning up and dressing up the, the new thought, new age idea that we can manifest what it is we want through our speech, through our thinking, and even through our actions. So we're going to talk a little bit later about um, the seed faith um, practice where you sow seeds of faith financially. So if you sow a seed of $10 into a ministry, then God owes it back to you to give you a harvest of tenfold or hundredfold. And so all that is, is it's a very transactional understanding of there's something I want. And so I'm going to manifest what it is I want because I'm going to align my speaking and my thinking and my obedience. (laughs) And therefore I'm going to be able to get what I want. Hmm. So uh, this is problematic on a number of levels but this is essentially what's being declared and taught. Um, so we talked a little bit about faith at the start of this episode, that faith is um, a, a very deep biblical concept, but I think we both can agree that it's believing in God and trusting in Him, even when we can't understand or we can't see possibly what He's doing. And so, like, allegiance, hope, trust in something, in someone, right? Not just (laughs) you manifesting what it is you want and saying, well, that's faith. No, it has to be in the goodness and faithfulness and grace of God to provide, protect, and give us whatever we need, however we see fit. Do you think that's a a good biblical working definition of what faith is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and oftentimes... I would, I would say more often than not, that leads us to a place of suffering on behalf of other people mm-hmm. and leads us to a place of spiritual and sometimes physical poverty. And in, in, in order to, uh, to, to atone for other people in a way, I mean, we're, if we're to be little Christs, he suffered to atone for other people. And so, mm. yeah, it's, that's why this is so satanic and counter to the message of the gospel is that... Um, the gospel so often leads to, to a place of emotional or physical suffering mm. for other people. And um, and it's a willing thing that we go through because mm-hmm. we, I mean, Paul wrote about it all the time. He's like, I count it a joy to suffer with Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be in fellowship with the suffering, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't hear much of that in Word of Faith theology. <laughs> so f- faith biblically, faith historically by... Um, most Christians is understood as that, that like, man, we hope and we trust in God's goodness, his faithfulness and his grace. And, and we just have this confident trust, even as we're like Joseph, we're imprisoned. Even as we're like Paul, we're imprisoned. Even as we're like Job, where we say the Lord takes and, and, um, you know, what, what is it? The Lord gives and takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, that's faith, right? That no matter what happens mm-hmm. in life, we know he's good and he loves us and he's going to take care of us and he's going to provide for us. And and if we're obedient to him, no matter what the outcome is, it's going to be okay, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. to someone who is influenced by word of faith theology, faith is now 
a force and a power that you can control through your belief, through your speech, and through your obedience to God to get whatever outcome you want. So you can declare things into existence because you have been given the authority to do so. Now, if that sounds like a stretch, let's go to our friend Kenneth Copeland's website, shall we? On the old interwebs. Hmm. He has a section of his website, I pulled it up yesterday, called What is Faith? And Here is from Kenneth Copeland's website, What is Faith? This is what he says. Faith <clears throat> is not the product of reason. The force of faith, the God kind of faith... Can't you just hear him saying this and preaching this? <laughs> oh, so gross. <laughs> the God kind of faith that resides in us is now... We serve a now God. He is the creator of the universe. And when we made Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives, the faith of Almighty God came to live within us. Hmm. Yeah, you can hear that personification of faith there a little bit. Yeah. Faith came to live with, within us. It's like, almost like faith is its own God that we worship. <laughs> a separate yeah. God that we worship, that the God of the Bible actually has to bow the knee to, which is super mm. demonic. Okay, this is from Kenneth Copeland. The Bible makes it absolutely clear, faith can overcome anything in this world order. There is literally no limit to what faith can do. Why then aren't more Christians enjoying the limitless blessings that faith can produce in their lives? Primarily because we've limited ourselves to this natural realm. We've spent most of our time looking at the things we can see with our physical eyes and believing what our natural senses tell us. I want to stop for a second. We're going to talk next episode about the new thought movement, the new age movement, and how there is intersectionality between the new age movement, new thought movement, and the word of faith movement. But here's where it's showing up. Um, it is a very metaphysical... Um, understanding of who we are in the sense of the material world is kind of an illusion and the, the metaphysical or spiritual world is really the reality that we live in. And so we can manifest things in the physical world through living primarily in the spiritual world. Hmm. That is almost <clears throat> in a, in a very tidy nutshell Christian science if you've ever yeah. studied Christian science. So that quote by Kenneth Copeland um, sounds suspiciously like Mary Barker Eddy, and we'll talk about who that is. She's the founder of Christian science. It sounds suspiciously like E.W. Kenyon and Phineas Quimby. These are all new thought cultists from the early 20th century. Um, that is exceptionally problematic to think that somehow we don't have to uh, care really about this natural realm. We can <laughs> ignore what our natural senses tell us and we can just put that out of our mind. If we're sick, I'm not sick, I'm healed. No, you're sick. Like, <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's really sad. Yeah. Uh, two more quotes from Kenneth Hagin. 
Kenneth Hagin, again, this is Kenneth Copeland's spiritual father. Since we have a spirit of faith, we ought to speak the things we believe. Never talk failure. I don't know about you, but I don't believe in failure. Never talk defeat. I don't know about you, but I don't believe in defeat. I believe in victory, praise God. Another quote from Kenneth Hagin, healing belongs to you. It belongs to you because sickness is of the enemy. It belongs to you because you are a spiritual child of Abraham. It belongs to you because sickness is a curse and Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. Hmm. So where the Word of Faith movement gets very damaging is the believers who are genuinely sick with a real disease and um, what they believe is that essentially they can heal themselves through positive confession or through not speaking that o- over themselves. And then they end up passing away and going to be with the Lord, which what an amazing blessing. We get to go be with the Lord, absent from the body, is present with the Lord. But I have seen this kind of teaching that creeps into the church absolutely decimate the faith of men and women who thought, man, I guess God didn't heal that person because I just didn't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, and at least a few different occasions dealing yeah. with someone with a terminal illness who passes away. And then there's the fallout and ramifications of, of people who fasted and prayed and sought healing and apparently did not get, evidently did not get physical healing through their prayers. Yeah, that's, oh, to pick up the pieces from that, it's tough, man. Yeah. It's really tough. And I think what's crazy is like you see these guys on TV or you see these guys' books in the Christian bookstore, but um, as a pastor, there is a exceptionally difficult task that we have to sit down with a family who just lost a child to cancer or to counsel a um, person who just lost their spouse to a disease. And you don't really hear these guys doing that. You hear these guys saying you can be healed if you just reach out and you touch the TV or you can be healed if you just you know, speak this out of yourself and I declare that you are healed, yada, yada, yada. But, Mm. okay, man, like, what? my wife is a hospice nurse. She's around death and dying all the time. Mm -hmm. Death is a reality of this broken, fallen world that we're all going to die someday unless Jesus returns before that day comes for us. And so Mm -hmm. to to essentially just kick the can down the road and deny that and deny that and deny that and deny that. And then it happens. And then you never talk about it. First of all, that's delusional. Second of all, that's incredibly unloving to do for people because they're completely not prepared to have a framework to process that Mm -hmm. when that day actually comes. Yeah. So, yeah. And and that's, they're strapped with, almost a heavier grief because they're grieving over the loss of a loved one, but they're also grieving over their, their perceived lack of faith. Yeah. 
They're perceived and they failure. Have to be- live. Yeah, yeah, and they live with they live with like self doubt. They live with guilt. Um, you know, mm-hmm. They they are the reason their loved one died or something. And, yeah, I uh, mean that's so satanic. I mean, it's, there's no other way to describe it. Um, yeah, with anything that pr- this this false belief that produces condemnation and guilt in you because your loved one wasn't healed for, through your prayers. It's like, oh mm-hmm. man. But of course, those people you don't see like part two to any of those books or DVD sets where it's mm-hmm. like. Uh, my loved one wasn't healed. What now? You know, right? It's right, all right, just right, like right, right. it's all just like, hey, if you if you send in this donation and pray, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell a quick story. Yeah, in it. relation to this, I'm not going to name who it was, but I was 16 years old and watching TV, and there was a, one of these evangelist guys that was saying, basically, you send in uh, your your address, and we'll mail you a prayer cloth with mm-hmm. a little vial of water that we we got from our holy well here on our property that we prayed over and was a miracle that we have water here. And then what you do is you take the water, you put it on the little prayer rag, and then you rub it on a part of your body that needs healing. And Mm. so 16-year-old Gabe was like, yes, this is perfect opportunity for something. So I I requested these items. They came in the mail, and um, I took them, and uh, I took the prayer cloth, and I put chocolate pudding on it. (laughs) And... (laughs) <laughs> I put it I put it in a Ziploc bag with a dollar and then I wrote a note in like the the squigglyish what is that word squiggyish I don't squigglyish yeah squigglyish yeah 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 sure yeah like really shaky looking handwriting and it, it just said I tried I was trying to mimic like you know this really old lady's handwriting and it was like it was like thank you brother so much for your prayer cloth it did wonders on my hemorrhoids. <laughs> and then I and then I mailed it back in. And oh man. So, so basically I set it up where this person would open the envelope, there would be a Ziploc bag that they would have to open and they would mm-hmm, have to mm-hmm. touch the rag. Yes. And then they would put the rag to the side, pull the dollar out and then uh-huh. read the note and say that it was rubbed on hemorrhoids. Yes. Yes. That's and brilliant. I, I mean, I never saw their reaction. They probably just threw it away. I don't know. But, well, uh, if there's a dollar in there, you can be sure they got their dollar out before they did. But man, oh, yeah. that's good. Wow. <sighs> you were 16 and you had that kind of troll game? I did. I did. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. I, yes. Well, I, just, I, na- I named it and claimed it. You named it and claimed it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's amazing. All right, so six main tenets of Word of Faith teaching and why they are problematic. We've already talked about the first one. Faith is a force that is controlled by the words you speak. So you will hear people basically talking about positive confession, saying things like, no, don't speak that over yourself. Um, so, you know, I think I'm coming down with a virus. Don't speak that over yourself. Oh. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, you'll hear people say things like, I... Declare in Jesus' name, you are healed. Or here's one I've, I've seen a lot. There's a misunderstanding of the gift of prophecy. So prophecy, biblically, is revelation from God. So we receive a revelation from God, we open our mouths and declare the revelation that God has given us. Word of faith teachers change that or distort that to say, that whatever we declare is from God. And so when you'll hear some word of faith teacher say, I prophesy in Jesus' name you are healed. 
Okay, that's not that's not really prophecy. Prophecy is <laughs> what God has revealed to you or God has shown to you, not what you say and then saying because I say it and God says it. That's that's a very distorted misunderstanding of prophecy. But anyway, you hear a lot of people saying that. I declare in Jesus' name you are healed. Not asking God to heal someone, not praying mm-hmm. over someone to get healed, declaring that they are healed. Um and basically, all this is is the law of attraction. That's based in New Thought cults. That is the book, The Secret. That is Oprah Winfrey stuff, and it has more of a basis in that than it has biblical teaching. Um, but that's kind of the main tenet, and that's kind of the bedrock of that. Makes sense, or do you hash anything else? Yeah. How about that one? No, yeah, makes sense. Okay. Second is the health and wealth. Or prosperity gospel. And so the belief is this, every born-again believer is meant to obtain material wealth and riches. And this is what God wants for you. God does not want you to be poor. God wants you to prosper. I'm trying to remember which Word of Faith teacher wrote a book in the 70s or 80s, but basically it was Thou Shalt Prosper. That's the name of the book. It's so basically like it's a it's a command from God that we are to prosper. And so how do you prosper? How do you get riches? Well, using your faith, using, using your positive confessions while you make very deliberate and practical efforts to seek after the riches you desire. <clears throat> so hmm. some of this is from, you know, sowing seeds of faith, but some of it is from very... Uh, almost like magical thinking. This is part of the reason why you see a lot of Pentecostal churches in the 80s and 90s building these massive facilities and then going belly up on their loan like two years later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because the thought is, no, we're just going to take steps of faith. I'm like, yeah, but like, what What about all the stuff in the Bible about wisdom, right? Like, isn't there a lot in the book of Proverbs about being wise and being good stewards, right? So, taking steps of faith and stretching your faith and, you know, sowing your seed of faith, that's a real big deal. That's kind of how you get your, your wealth. And then healing, physical healing... Um, is taught that it is a guarantee through the atonement of Jesus, and it just needs to be declared and spoken. So, um, by his stripes you are healed, that verse in Isaiah 53, mm-hmm. is basically said, okay, I am healed. So, if we understand that biblically, Part of the promise of Jesus is that he will raise our bodies up on the last day, right? That's John 11. We see that foreshadowed to the the resurrection of Lazarus, that our physical bodies do get restored, and that is through, yes, the atonement of Jesus, that his body paid the penalty for our sins so that our bodies will someday be restored. But the bodies we have now are eventually going to break down. And so we live in the now, but not yet. God sometimes heals now. 
according to his sovereignty and according to his plan. But the reality is the bodies we have are someday going to die. But the atonement of Jesus promises us an ultimate healing through the resurrection, not always the immediate healing we demand here and now. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I heard someone just the other night um, say something really profound that I've never heard before. Uh, um, Bob, if you're listening, thank you for this. He said, <laughs> he said uh, you know, we're, yeah, we said something about prayers. Uh, I don't know the context. And he goes, he goes, well, um, oh, we said something about like, we hope that he answers that prayer or something. And he goes, well, if you think about it, every, every prayer is answered. And I was like, hmm. uh, What? He's like, yeah, every prayer is answered. And I was like, whoa, yeah, it is. When you think about it, like it's, it may not be the answer that you want, mm. but it's answered. I wow. Thought, I thought that's really interesting. And it goes, yeah, it flies in the face of, of this word of faith doctrine, yeah. but that's really good. Absolutely. So we uh, don't let's like, just... we, sometimes we don't like the answer that we're given. And sometimes we don't mm-hmm. understand it, mm-hmm. but that's the answer. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt No, you. no, no. I, I think that's brilliant. To, to think, I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. I'm talking this weekend about um, the thorn in his flesh. You remember mm-hmm. he talks about that in Second Corinthians. He says mm-hmm. that yeah. there was a messenger of Satan that was sent to torment me, and I asked God to take it away from me. And what did God say? No. No. Mm-hmm. Right? So if we can somehow say every single ailment I have, every single physical thing I've got, I... I'm going to declare because mm-hmm. of the atonement that I am healed. Okay, why did Paul write to his protege Timothy to take a little wine for his frequent ailments in his stomach? So did Timothy just not have enough faith or Paul couldn't heal? The same mm-hmm. Paul that walked through the city of Ephesus and people were getting healed by um, you know, cloths that he used or you know what I'm saying? Like, so this line of thinking that we're always promised healing, just read your Bible. That's not even the case in the New Testament. Yeah. Um, and we also see in the book of Philippians, uh, Epaphroditus, I think that's his name. He was sick almost to the point of death when Paul was writing it. So I guess Epaphroditus, one of these guys that the apostle Paul commends, did not have enough faith. I mean, it, it's just so silly to say that everyone... Um, has to be immediately healed extensively in this life. That's not biblical. In this life, you will have trouble. And sometimes that trouble is we get sick. Mm -hmm. But because of the atonement of Jesus, we will be raised up on that last day and we'll get a glorious new resurrection body. And that's amazing. But that doesn't mean that right here, right now, we're never going to get sick. So when we follow this false teaching and this line of logic, there's two dangerous outcomes. The first is if you're poor, you don't have enough faith. The second is if you don't get healed from a sickness, you didn't have enough faith to get your healing. And not only is that Hmm. false, that is exceptionally destructive to people who are poor and people who are sick. And these are the ones that end up getting taken advantage of. Um, a third tenet of Word of Faith theology is, whew, this is so interesting and exceptionally blasphemous, but it's called Little God's Doctrine. 
so here's how this doctrine goes. <clears throat> when we see in the book of Genesis God saying, let us make man in our own image and likeness, word of faith teachers say, aha, I know what that means. Because we have been made in the image and likeness of God, and God created the universe by the power of his words, and I'm made in his image and likeness, then I can create things by the power of my words. I am a little God. Hmm. And you'll see guys like Creflo Dollar. Like, he's given a sermon on this, and he, he says things like, um, I am a God. And the people in his church, you can tell, as he's saying that, are, are really uncomfortable, kind of like, where's he going? He's like, no, 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 it makes sense. If two chickens get together, what do they make? A baby chicken. If two horses get together, what do they make? A horse. But if God comes together and wants to reproduce something after his kind, what is it? He said, say this with me, I am a God. Ugh. And you're like, holy cow, like, where's the lightning, right? I mean, it's like yeah. crazy stuff. And so based on this belief, man, we can, we can do what God did, right? Um, I've heard a lot of people that get into this say, well, I mean, Jesus walked on water, so I'm, I am God. I'm, I'm a little God. I'm, I'm, I can walk on water too. And I'm like, okay, there's a pond. Go show me. Well, I don't know if my faith's that strong. <laughs> Just yeah, because it's always don't don't put Lord your God to the test. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, yeah. okay. <sighs> and then here's something I've heard Gloria Copeland, Kenneth Copeland's wife, say that um, she and Kenneth Copeland they control the weather. So anytime they're flying in their private jet and there's like a storm, you know, that they can just speak to the weather because they're just like God and they can control the weather. I'm like, okay, that's great. When Hurricane Katrina was headed towards the city of New Orleans, where were you guys? Right? <laughs> it's like, you, you can so pray and ask God to, to do a miracle and change the weather. And, and truth be told, I've seen him do that. But this guy, Josh Brooker, I cannot muster up enough faith to go and speak to that rainstorm and rebuke that storm and then be able to say, because I'm just like God and I have faith, I can speak to the storm and it will dissipate. Um, they're just, they're getting, they're getting this from the idea of like Elijah controlling the famine and rain. And right, right. Praying and stuff. And so they, they see themselves as modern day prophets in the office of a prophet or apostle. And so they're like, okay, we can do this. And biblically there's a precedence for this. And, um, but they're just they're just wrong. They're just they're just greedy, as we've all seen. But why are people still putting them on television and YouTube and like, oh man, it's just the, <sighs> yeah, because it's, it's wishful so, I guess thinking. It's so lucrative. Yeah, it's it's lucrative and it's also wishful thinking. I mean, if you feel like, um, you know, you can have that kind of power too, then yeah, if you're desperate and you're sick and you're poor, then you might mm -hmm. fall for that, right? So a belief, essentially, because we're made in the image and likeness of God, we are little gods. We can change any reality or destiny. A belief that God cannot do anything without the permission of man. I've heard Benny Hinn say that before. That basically everything that God does, it was because of a prayer prayed somewhere that released God to do it. Mm. 
And so you will you'll hear and you'll see Word of Faith teachers talk about releasing anointings, mm-hmm. releasing outpourings, releasing blessings. So basically a belief that, okay, God's up in heaven and he's got all this stuff that he wants to do, but he's just like, man, I'm just waiting for somebody to pray. And then once we pray the right prayer and we got enough faith and we got enough boldness to finally pray, God's like, oh, shoo, thank you. I was waiting to act. I can't do anything unless you you give me permission. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wh- what? Where You would never, ever, ever, ever on a deserted island with just your Bible come to that conclusion. I mean, God, Yet, God can do anything most... He wants to do. He does not need the permission of man. Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> Yet that's one of the most oft-repeated phrases is, I release on you. Yeah. Or don't, yeah. De- don't, don't declare <laughs> that on yourself. Yeah. And it's like... And it's hardly yeah. ever challenged. Mm-hmm. If somebody steps up and goes, well, wait a second... Where do you get that idea that God can only move unless you give him permission? Then anyone who challenges it is called quenching the spirit or a Pharisee, or they just don't have enough faith. And it's like, no, bro, I'm all about you being someone that takes radical steps of obedience, believing that God's going to show up. But you're placing yourself in a position where you're essentially over God commanding him around, and that is blasphemy. Mm-hmm. And that's a dangerous heresy. Um, a next, uh, Another tenet of the Word of Faith doctrine is seed faith teachings. We kind of talked about this, but basically people being coerced into seeding or giving their money in faith with the belief that God will give them back a multiplied harvest or return for their offering. So if a person gives or sows $10 in faith to a preacher of his ministry, then God will be obligated to give that person a monetary or material reward, um, you know, of, of $20 or more in return. You, you would see a lot of late night televangelists in the 80s um, using this. A guy named Robert Tilton used this all the time. Um there's, there's nothing in the Bible that says that. I don't know why that's a thing, but there's there's verses they twist and use basically to say that you you put a seed of faith and it grows and then God brings it back to you. And I just, I don't know, man, that's a, I don't know where you can get that from your Bible. Uh, number five, name it and claim it. Essentially the law of attraction, manifesting certain things by using the power of your words combined with your faith. You can be able to name whatever you want into existence. So if you want a car, you want a house, you want a job, um, there's things that you want to see happen in your ministry, you can name them, you can thank God for them in advance, and you can declare them into existence. And then the sixth tenet of the Word of Faith movement is where you get into the goofiness, and that is very fringy, weird, unbiblical claims. <sighs> this is where it gets interesting. And, and I was trying to debate which ones I wanted to put in because there's so many. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a belief. Um, I think if you get into some of the, the, uh, 
if you go down the rabbit hole of weird stuff that Benny Hinn has said over the years, he said things like Adam could fly. Um, which I just thought was interesting. It is. Um, he said things like uh, God showed him that there is a, there's actually nine members of the, of the Godhead, not, not three. Hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, the Bible says there's three, but I guess God's speaking to Benny Hinn more than he spoke to the apostles and prophets that wrote the Holy Scriptures, but okay. Thanks, Benny. Uh, so I just picked four, because I, I, I mean, there's, I don't even know where to start. So one that is probably the, the most troublesome and I feel like is being taught a lot is the belief that Jesus died spiritually and he went to hell and then he was tortured in hell. And then he was born again in hell before he rose from the dead. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Joel that's, Osteen has actually... That's problematic. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Um, I So there's a, a Bethel worship song that uh, some of our worship teams have really enjoyed doing called Ain't No Grave. I don't know if you've heard that one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Um, there's a verse that talks about Jesus. Um, he went on down to hell and he got the keys and he roared, you know, rose like a lion to set the captives free. Mm-hmm. That's that word mm-hmm. of faith doctrine. So we changed it at our church. Um, I asked the worship team to change it at our campus because I'm, I'm I don't think anybody really knew <laughs> where, where that was rooted in, but I did because I know some of the um, folks that, uh, yeah, from Bethel Church that uh, believe this. And so I'm like, yeah, that's not true. Jesus didn't get tortured in hell and born again. Uh, Joel Osteen actually says that uh, Jesus had to wrestle back from the devil the keys of life and death before he was born again from hell and rose from the dead. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, there's it's just... It's basically speculative theology because it sounds really, really good that Jesus kind of arm wrestled the devil and he won, you know. And mm-hmm. Yeah. It, so. There is no biblical, you know, that's a common, common misnomer. It comes from 1 Peter 4. Mm-hmm. For this for this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. So that it might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in, in regard to the spirit. But that's um, completely abusing and, and misunderstanding that, that verse. Um, but yeah, it's and then from that grew this huge misunderstanding that Jesus descended into hell upon his death and had to, yeah, basically duke it out with Satan in hell, and then yeah, he was, and that's he, he yeah, mm-hmm. and that's actually dualism, right? So that's dualism mm-hmm. is like you know there's yin and there's yang, and they're both kind of equals, and no, mm-hmm. they're not equals. Jesus and Satan are not equals, right? Jesus is victorious as far back as the as the garden in Genesis 3 when we see the proto-evangelion. Um, another mm-hmm. verse they get this from is Ephesians 4, 9. It says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions mm-hmm. of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And so they said, ah, you see, it says he descended into the lower regions of the earth. Well, um, understand that phrase biblically, you got to go back to the book of Jonah and how Jesus talks about the book of Jonah. The lower regions of the earth is a reference to the grave. It's not a reference to hell. Mm-hmm. 
And the contrast in this verse is he ascended and then he descended. So him descending into the lower regions of the earth, um, he's talking about the incarnation, how he came from heaven to earth. To show us the way from the earth to the cross, my dead to pay. Right? Um, so Jesus actually was in, he came to the earth and then he died and he went into the grave, right? Nothing in that verse says he went to hell. So that's, again, speculation. That's speculative theology. It's not, it's not actually black and white from the scriptures. It's taking one verse and going, oh, here's what this means, and then creating a whole theology out of it. And there's nothing in the Bible that would support systematically this teaching that Jesus went to hell, was tortured in hell, and was born again before he rose from the dead. Um, another unbiblical claim that I would disagree with is a belief that the office of the apostles and prophets still exists today. So if you listen to our NAR episode a couple years ago, um, Gabe and I would agree, along with most charismatics and Pentecostals, that the apostolic and prophetic giftings are still available, that some people still um, have a prophetic gifting, that God gives them words of prophecy, that some people function in an apostolic gifting within the church. But the governing office of apostle and the governing office of the prophet, those those offices are no longer, um, those offices are closed, right? You don't, you don't have prophets and apostles ruling over churches. You've got pastors and elders that direct the affairs of the church. And so most word of faith teachers <clears throat> don't outright claim to have an authority that matches or supersedes the Bible, but what they <clears throat> basically say is that if they've been given a special revelation that um, because they're an apostle of God or a prophet of God, you can't question or challenge them. And so their revelations from God is kind of over the churches and you've got to hear from them. Like instead of going to your pastor and going, Hey, I heard this. Like what? No, 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 no. I'm speaking as a prophet over all the churches. Right. And it's kind of like, no, mm. no, that's not true. No. Um, some word of faith teachers have said that Jesus and his disciples were rich. So I don't know how you justify the verse where Jesus said, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Hmm. If Jesus is rich, why is he not staying at the Ritz-Carlton? But I digress. Uh, and then there's a big crossover between the word of faith movement and the NAR movement, which we talked about in other mm -hmm. episodes. So... Yeah, that's essentially what's taught in the Word of Faith movement. So, land in the plane, let's talk about the influence of the Word of Faith movement. Let's take 10 minutes and do that, shall we? Yeah. So, I like to kind of categorize Word of Faith influence in three categories. In the first category, you've got full-blown, unapologetic, unapologetic stage four Word of Faith teachers the Word of Faith megastars, right? This would be the Kenneth and Gloria Copelands, the Benny Hens, Joyce Myers, Creflo Dollar, Paula White. She's been one that's come on the radar recently. Are you familiar with her? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Why, why are you laughing and why are you familiar with her? <laughs> just Because just going through these names just makes me cringe and just throw up in my mouth a little bit. Yeah. 
But then Paula White was just the, that was like the, ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you're someone who's. And, and let me just say, I, I not to be like personal against these people. I, God loves these people very much and I love them as well. But their theology is whack. Yes. And I dislike their behavior and their ability and their platform to speak this garbage that they're speaking. Yep. But I love them as humans. Yep. So if Paula White is a name you're familiar with, it, it could be because she was named as Donald Trump's spiritual advisor. She was very involved in the Trump administration. As a matter of fact, she declared victory for Donald J. Trump in 2020. I want to read you her prayer from a prayer meeting. Uh, she says this, I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. For angels have even been dispatched from Africa right now. In the name of Jesus from South America, they're coming here. Everything in opposition to this house in the people, which I don't know what she's referring to. I don't know if she's referring to her house or the White House, the Trump administration, but anyway, she says it must fall. So she declared that there would be no opposition to Donald Trump. And God, we're standing here knowing that it will also speak against that which has risen up against America and that everything that has come in opposition to the man that you have chosen, the man that you have elected, the man that your hand is behind, the man that you're pleased with, the man that you pulled out of the midst of darkness and elevated, the man who made a mockery of things of this world, and will do it again. God, we call you out now. Ugh, that's if there's lightning, I would I would run the other room, right? Nothing against him shall prosper. Nothing that rises against him shall succeed. Do you, do you see how in this prayer, it's not asking God to do anything. It's declaring God that already has done it. Mm-hmm. And that's word of faith theology in a nutshell. So so to be devil's advocate here, people will come back and say, well, well he did win. It was just like there was some <laughs> shenanigans that made it where he's, so he is the rightful president. It's just... What it, but it says in her prayer here, it says right here that nothing that rises against him shall succeed. So, yeah, you know, but no, I, I know Jeremiah Johnson, who was another word of faith, false prophet yes. came out and, and said something very similar and had to actually come out and repent of it. And um, he kind of put his neck too far out there on the line and, and it cost him. So, Well, there's a guy named Kent Christmas from Nashville who said, I declared Trump would win and he won. In the eyes of God, Donald Trump is the true president of the United States. Well, it's, just, it's just the wicked the wicked people. And I'm like, okay, so the wicked people are stronger than God's declared word? Is that how that works? Hmm. But but Josh, hmm. he did declare <laughs> his he did declare his presidency for twenty twenty four. He did last night. But he I did wonder what I, I wonder where the prophets are uh where all the false prophets that declared he'd win in 2020, I wonder what they're doing with that word now. You know what I mean? Oh, oh they yeah. they are priming that pump. Believe I mean, me, they are getting those. They're waking up this morning, rubbing their hands together, getting on Twitter. Here we go. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, a oh, couple more gosh. full-blown stage four Word of Faith teachers. John Hagee. He's very big into prosperity, positive confession. He has some very wacky eschatology. He's all about the blood moons. Mm-hmm. Um, he... Apparently, also doesn't think that Jewish people need Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bilateral ecclesiology is what he espouses. All right. Well, that's blasphemous and unbiblical. Uh, Paul and Jan Crouch—they were the founders of TBN. 
Um, so that's part of the reason why on TBN you're going to see most of these guys because Paul and Jan Crouch were both Word of Faith people. Joseph Prince, Jesse Duplantis, these are all names that are unapologetically full-blown Word of Faith. They would agree with everything the Word of Faith doctrines espouse, and they'd be proud of it. <clears throat> so that's the first category. And I would just say to you, if I am your pastor, please stay the heck away from everything those guys have their hands in. Their writing, their teaching, their TV shows, their podcasts, stay away. It is not mm-hmm. biblical. It's heresy. So then we've got the second category, and this is what I would call the Word of Faith decaf teachers. And these people are toned down Word of Faith so some people are like, I don't think that guy's word of faith. But then when you actually start hearing them talk about faith or talk about healing, it's word of faith. So the biggest name would be America's smiliest preacher, Joel Osteen. Now, some people would say, Josh, no, he's full-blown. And I would actually agree with you. He's full-blown but he's just learned how to be slick and clean it up a bit. Um, Because I would say this is more ecumenical word of faith theology that goes over really well with non-Christians because um, it's basically just the secret, right? It's basically just positive Mm -hmm. confession teaching. It's not really word of faith with all this gospel stuff and scripture tied in. No, it's, it's basically just new thought cults kind of moving in. Um, T.D. Jakes, John Gray, those guys have said some, uh, some good things from time to time, but they've also really espoused a lot of word of faith stuff, so I would say that's kind of sus. Um, Brian Houston from Hillsong Church. Again, not everything they taught, um, which, by the way, they're going through some pretty massive shifts and change Hillsong churches. They had a rough year last year um, with that documentary that came out. Brian Houston was removed as the senior global pastor of Hillsong Church. Did you see that documentary, Surviving Hillsong? I did. Yeah, I did yeah. too. Oh, that's a mess. Yeah, so um, they would never, uh, I think, be categorized as kind of a classical word of faith church. Uh, but a lot of the theology that kind of governed how they handled giving or how they handled finance or anything like that was very much influenced by the Word of Faith movement. Uh, Bill Johnson and Bethel Church. More on physical healings being things we declare and see happen because of our faith. Uh, Bill Johnson has said this, I think, very problematic quote, if the healing doesn't come, the problem isn't down here which I I don't think that's very helpful because it's basically saying if the healing doesn't come, or no, no, I'm sorry, I screwed that quote up. If the healing doesn't come, the problem isn't up there. Basically saying the problem is down here. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if somebody gets healed, you can't blame God. So then the natural outcome is we just blame us, right? Mm -hmm. So... Very, um, very new age kind of in how this 
gets fleshed out that we kind of speak things into existence by faith. We can command God. Um, the whole physical healing was purchased in the atonement of Christ and that God wants to heal, that we should not pray for healing by saying, God, if it's your will to heal, because by faith we know that's always his will, his will to heal. Um, and I, I would say that's very much word of faith theology influencing his doctrine of healing. Uh, and then Todd White, very influenced by word of faith theology when it comes to healing. Um, a couple of years ago, he was sharing platforms with uh, Kenneth Copeland, which was pretty mm-hmm. problematic. And then he supposedly repented of prosperity gospel. But then the theology of kind of forced faith and, you know, declaring to someone they are healed, that's still very much something he teaches. And so that's, that's kind of problematic. And then... Um, yeah. So third category would be people who are in the charismatic or Pentecostal world that may not think they're word of faith, but they're very, very, very influenced by this and they don't even know it. Mm-hmm. So when everybody, whenever somebody declares something to be so as they're praying for someone, you know, I speak to this sickness in Jesus' name, or I declare that you are healed, or I prophesy that you are going to do this, or this is done, and we already thank you for this in advance. They may not even know it, but that's word of faith theology. Yeah. That's positive confession. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's word of faith theology. So there's a tremendous amount of misunderstandings on healing within the church, and that's because of word of faith theology creeping in. Misunderstandings of faith, misunderstandings of God's sovereignty and our responsibility in prayer. Misunderstandings of prophecy and how prophetic words operate. Again, we talked about that earlier. And all of that, I think, is because of this movement influencing very subconsciously people within the church. So, Gabe, as we're closing up, um, what counsel would you give somebody who is reading or watching or listening to any of these uh, teachers we mentioned, or maybe they've been influenced by this and they don't even know? What would you say to them? Uh, to check out the uh, Beards and Bible podcast <laughs> about the Word of Faith movement. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, just understanding that their heart is in a place that's usually, usually really pure intentions and lovingly sharing them truth and the dangers and biblical errors of this movement um, and encouraging them to uh, to look elsewhere for biblical teaching. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I would just say if there's a belief you're holding strongly to and you refuse to let somebody um, challenge you with scripture about that belief, mm-hmm. then you're you're probably holding on to a belief that can't stand under the scrutiny of Scripture. Mm, mm-hmm. So if you're afraid to study too much Bible because you're afraid that's going to lead to you changing your belief, <laughs> that's probably not a good belief. Yeah, it's not a good sign. Yeah, and and so like I've heard Bill Johnson say, well, these some some of these Christians are Bible idolaters. They believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And I think mm. really what that is, it's a... Um, a discouragement of people to study this too much in the scriptures, because when you start to open your Bible and you start to read some of this stuff, you start to find it just, it just disintegrates. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just untrue. 
And so if, if you're basically being told, don't study this too much, don't think about this too much, you're a Pharisee if you do, you're a Bible idolater if you do, just just believe it in faith, that's, that's probably not a true doctrine that's going to be able to withstand the, the test of time. And so, um, man, we should be like the Bereans. Like we, we are willing with everything we hear to bring it back to the lens of Scripture and say, does this check out? And the minute we stop being willing to do that is the minute we're probably in the danger zone. I would even say on danger the high, zone. in the highway to the danger zone. So, And this episode is brought to you by Top Gun Maverick, now out on mm. Bluetooth and DVD. Bluetooth. Blu-ray and DVD. Do, mm. do you, you, don't, you don't even use a Blu-ray player anymore, do you? You just do streaming all the time. I don't know. Yeah, yeah no, we don't. Yeah, same here. Same here. Well, thank you guys for listening, especially Tom Cruise. Uh, appreciate your endorsement there, buddy. We'll talk about Scientology next time. Uh, mm-hmm. Next episode, though, not Scientology, but we will probably mention Christian science and the New Thought movement as we talk about the origins of the Word of Faith movement. So, uh, yeah, if you got questions or you got feedback or anything like that, send us an email, reach out to us on the Facebook page. We would love to hear from you. And uh, we will see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.